Hello and welcome to Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast hosted by me, Casey Smith. And here's what's on the show this week. We're talking rugby league in Russia. And I'll be doing that with the director of the Russian Association of Rugby League Clubs, John Christie. Now, this week's episode is going to be a little bit different to the others because it's an extended interview, so it'll take up pretty much the whole episode. It's an interesting story because rugby league has had a hard time in Russia in recent years. I think 10 years ago, the government uh, removed its official status, which meant they wouldn't be receiving any financial support from government and John Christie's roles uh, very much trying to get them back on side and also working with the rugby union clubs because rugby league in Russia has not been played since 2017 for reasons which you will learn uh, in this interview. We also talk international rugby league. Should the NRL uh, be doing more to grow the game across the world? We look at the success of the Rugby Sevens in the Olympic. We talk about the cancellation of the Rugby League World Cup. And there's a bit about Russian life as well. You know, what's it like living in the country? What's the food like? And he also uh, tells us one time where he played Rugby League in minus 29 degrees. So I think that's worth listening to just for that. But to start with, I asked him, how did he get into the sport of Rugby League? Union at school, and then um, I went off to uh, Leicester University, and um, sort of the fresh fair and the going around, and I went went to join the rugby union side. Yeah, uh, and you know when you meet some people for the first time, and you you sort of uh, you got the impression that they were doing me a favour, really, sort of thing. Um, they weren't that really interested. It was like, come along, sort of give us your money. <laughs> and uh, that evening we were having a a drink in the uh, the halls of residence bars and the rugby league team came around and they were laughing and joking with everyone, just getting people up, getting them involved. And so I thought it's probably a, a better bunch of lads to, <laughs> to knock around with. And uh, I'd always sort of grown up a little bit watching the, the rugby league on the grandstand and stuff like that. So I, quite, I did quite fancy it and I, I was never really much into rucking and mauling. So uh, uh, it, it sort of it suited me down to the ground, and then um, ever since then I've talked really. Uh, what position were you? Did you play then? Started off at, at university. I played. Uh, I was playing hooker. Right. Um, which yeah, I was re- sort of really enjoyed, and then I sort of then progressed. I ended up playing on the wing for when I played sort of adult rugby. Um, majority of the time and then I've sort of moved into the sort of centre and as I've got a bit older and a bit bigger uh, front row now yeah <laughs> so you're still playing yeah. now then yes yeah still yeah. still attempting it um, <laughs> still when I go back um, back to England I try and get it down to the Nottingham Outlaws and uh, if they're short of players or the second team or the first team need me uh always have a run out of them and then over here um, obviously we're trying to get started again with COVID but um, I was playing playing a few nines competitions and um, we're sort of in rugby union season at the minute so I'm playing a little bit of that to try and get my fitness up yeah. for when we start rugby league Yeah What was like your first club then and when were that? So I joined um, I obviously played at uni and then I yeah. tore uh, in the, tore my um, medial ligament in my knee right so um, I sort of finished uni and did a little bit of rehab and then I just I sort of did, I didn't play any sport I basically started going home and away with football watching Leicester City yeah. um, we weren't as good as we are now so I was <laughs> sort of uh, down in the league one day yeah. I, was, I was doing all that and um, then I moved um, got a job opportunity in China so I moved over to China and started uh, started playing rugby union. Um, there was no rugby league there or anything like that. Um, did three years there, then I came back and I, I just really wanted to play rugby league. Uh, watched was watching loads of the NRL on TV and I just wanted to get involved. So that was about 2015, and then I went to 
uh, rang up Nottingham Outlaws and said, um, can I come down and get involved? And they were like, yeah, of course you can. And they're a really welcoming club, um, a great set of lads that have been there for years and sort of really working hard to get things going in the community. And sort of, yeah, I did two years with them and um, I loved it. We were playing in the Conference League South, travelling to Wales, down to London for games. It was... Um, it was brilliant. It was a uh, yeah, uh, one of the best, well, best playing experience I reckon I've had. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and I've I've read somewhere that you represented uh, Hong Kong. So how did that come about? Yeah, I when I moved, so I spent <laughs> uh, two years in in Nottingham, and then I moved uh, to Myanmar for work. Uh, so I was working there for a year. Uh, I went over and played in the Hong Kong Nines tournament. Um, just good, good weekend away, uh, and then um, they were sorting out a representative side, and uh, they sort of got into contact and asked if I was interested in going to Manila to play, and uh, yeah, I, I jumped at the chance. It yeah. was a bit of representative football. Uh, <laughs> I did learn the Hong Kong national anthem, but it yeah. was it was still pretty. Uh, it was it was pretty cool thing to do. Yeah. Uh, we, we played really well as well. Uh, a good set of lads. It was um, did very well on the pitch, and I think in the evening we had a good time as well. But it was a, it was a, it was a good trip away, good weekend. Right. So uh, moving on to your role that you've got now with uh, Russian Rugby League, uh, how did that come about? Um, I I moved to Russia. Yeah. And um, sort of started to look into things and. For some reason, I ended up emailing the, the European Rugby League Federation. I didn't realise I'd probably got that high in my emails. <laughs> and they uh, they put me in contact with um, the national team coach. And um, he was coaching club uh, rugby league side as well, uh, CSKA. Um, they've got quite a famous football team as well. And um, so I sort of got involved with them. Uh, went down to the, uh, the trainings and um, started to play in their season. They were like a uh, dual, clo- uh, dual, dual club, uh, dual code, so playing rugby union, rugby league. Um, but there was basically a lot of the national team played for them and everything like that. So I sort of really got involved in trying to sort of, oh, well, when are we playing rugby league next? When's, when's the league starting? When's the season and all this? Uh, and they did a few national team things and we played a few games that were pretty good. And then, unfortunately, they, there was a bit of a fallout in Russian Rugby League where um, they withdrew from the World Cup qualifiers and um, the coach and the president of the national team, they all resigned. Um, so it was a bit of a uh, it was a bit of a disaster, really. I think Serbia took our place in the qualifiers and um, r- Rugby League sort of died. Um Previously to that, we'd had a great, uh, we'd had 500 fans at a game versus Partizan Belgrade. It was in the snow, and we had fans with flares. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is this, this could be amazing. It's so yeah. big, it's like, fantastic. And then within six months, it was all over. Um, but I got a message off um, Jovan from the, he's the European, uh, takes charge of our area of Europe from the European Federation, and he said, uh, don't know if you've seen the advert, but we're looking for people to get involved. And uh, sort of, I said, "Oh, she said, a couple of meetings. It's trying to build the game from from scratch." And I said, "Oh, well, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'd love <laughs> to be involved." And uh, still, still trying now. Yeah. So, um, with the withdrawal of the uh, World Cup qualifiers, like, sort of explain why that kind of like happened. Um. They, it was a little bit of a, a political. The the major side in, in Russian rugby league was CSKA, and they um, they got the opportunity to uh, become a professional rugby union side. So they did. Um, they took that opportunity, and then the national team coach of the rugby league was their coach. So <laughs> he went over with the majority of the squad. Um, it was my understanding that there was an agreement that they could still play the rugby league national team fixtures. And then when it came down to it about a couple of weeks beforehand, um, it was said they can't. 
Um, they didn't want to risk them getting injured and the sort of the, the whole rugby union, rugby league uh, conflict of interests and rivalry. So it, just, so it didn't happen. So yeah. they sort of had to uh, make a quick decision. I think uh, the coach, Dennis, I think he was, he was quite upset by it. Um, I think as much as him being involved with the professional rugby union club, he did want to sort of try and take Russia to, to a World Cup. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't happen. Yeah, and also, um, I understand that there's not really much support from like Russian government. Um, what's the relationship with them? Um, yeah, we sort of um, we lost official sports status um, probably around ten years ago, which resulted in us losing all funding. Um, and therefore, as we're not recognised in the official sport, um, you can't sort of tap into any government resources or anything like that. We're trying our utmost to sort of get back in um, and get the official status. Um, our president's been working with uh, certain committees as just below the government sort of to get the official status, and that's going well. The problem is with the COVID situation, we haven't been able to play. So... We're sort of talking about a sport that yeah. we haven't really got any evidence in the last two years of doing anything with. Yeah. Um, and there's still a little bit of sometimes misunderstanding. Um, it's often referred to here as Rugby 13. Um, so you have Rugby 7, Rugby 15, and they kind of kind of falls under one banner at times. So it's trying to get it to be seen as a standalone. And um, that, that is the difficult process. But... Um, we're hopeful within, I do think, within the next two years of trying to get this official status. I think we need one, we need maybe one, two seasons, four seasons, um, hopefully with the national team playing in October. That will raise, um, raise the profile and then hopefully then it will be quite a straightforward process. Uh, who are they playing in October? We are due to play um, in the European Group B. So we should right. be playing Serbia... And Ukraine and um, potentially Greece. It, it all depends on um, what's happening. Well, yeah. We know what's happened with the World Cup. Yeah. I think Greece are still deciding if they will be able to join us again for the right. European Group. Yeah. Or there'll be something else on the cards for them. Yeah. So back in 2010, then, why was that um, professional status taken away? It was. A lot of a lot of the money fell out of um, of, of rugby league. Um, the major sort of benefactor of it, who was ploughing the cash in, he stopped um, quite abruptly, and um, everything sort of kind of fell apart a little bit. And then uh, there was government wranglings, and um, a new minister came involved. And um, at that point, it kind of got uh, rugby union took a lot of the um, the army support. Um, for their provisions of building them up and um, in that sort of way that rugby league sort of just got cut aside um, a bit harshly. But... Yeah. And do you think, like, obviously you've sort of struggled with rugby union at the same time. Do you think those two sports can, like, work together or at least survive in Russia going forward? I think 100%. 100% I think we... Um, we don't want to be seen as a threat and I think the ideal situation is that we both work together uh, we've tried our best at the minute to make our seasons separate so we can have clubs that play both um, the benefits of for rugby union of having players play rugby league I think it's a no brainer um, then rugby league players are faster more skillful <laughs> it's only going to improve standard rugby union in my eyes um, we're hoping so we're hoping once we have our season and our national team up hopefully we can maybe sit down and to be honest with you we're not a powerhouse in rugby union and we're certainly not a powerhouse in rugby league so yeah. the fact of working together actually is sensible it's not we're not Australia we're not England we're not even France do you know what I mean we have to sort yeah. of if you want sports to grow, we can we can grow this sport t together, uh, which would be ideal. But hopefully, I hope we sit down and even 
even if the ideal relationship would be that we work together, but the second best thing would be as long as we sort of we can leave each other alone, maybe cooperate a little bit. That's it. We don't we don't want to have a we don't want to be fighting with uh, other sports at yeah. that point. So what is the feeling with the people in union then? Are they prepared to like come round the table or are they sort of, you know, uh, reluctant to do so? Russia's a lot of people involved in rugby union now that were previously involved um, in the sort of the Russian rugby league glory days in the early 2000s. Um, so, there's, so, they, so they enjoy the game. They like the game. But... Rugby Union has the sort of money and the finances and, and is the organising thing. So to keep some of these guys in jobs uh, as coaches or as administrators, they sort of have to go one way. Um, the majority of players, I mean, they love it when they think, oh, we can play Rugby League. Um, that's great. The funding from Rugby Union and the way they organise the competition sometimes leads to a little bit of a negative effect with some clubs of, if you play rugby, if you play in the rugby league season, you won't be in the first division for rugby union. You'll be in the second. So yeah. they all go, and because we don't have at the minute a massive product to offer them. On the other hand, we can't. But I think they would, and I, and I think they do. I know that with our building our national team up, we've had some um, of the rugby union um, coaches recommend players to come over for trials and working together. There is still a core. Uh, few, well, not a core, but a, a small group of rugby league people involved with the rugby union now, which I do think is a possibility that we could work together definitely in the future. Yeah, and in terms of like people playing the sport in Russia, like what are the numbers right now, and like how do you plan to increase that? So we've got roughly, I mean, no real domestic competition taking place since 2017 um sort of we've used it's covid time really as an opportunity to try and identify clubs that will be interested uh, in taking part in our season um so we've got roughly at the minute around 16 16 clubs across russia um basically put into different regions so we're looking at uh four regions of four teams um Give or take, we might potentially have one or two drop out. Um, so we're looking at probably a 10-team 10, 10 uh, domestic competition and then hopefully a cup competition as well. We're not sure about the, some of the standards of some of them. Uh, so our president will be going over and having a little look because um, we don't want blowouts in the competition. We want it to be sort of decent. So we might split into two divisions. Yeah. But... I would say majority of 25 players, 250, 250, maybe 300 players at the minute, um, which is good. Um, we've just got to get them on the field, yeah. um, really. <laughs> That's the aim. So. Uh, the competition, you said it, it's not been on far since 2017. So that obviously yeah. predates COVID. So what happened? Why did that finish? So it very much tied in. Um, with the fact that we had, we lost the president um, over to uh, rugby union side, and um, it just nothing happened. There was a very much a sort of a just let it go. Um, no one was there to organise any competitions. We had a few a few minor nines thing organised by some, some keen people, but it wasn't really until we got the restructure. Um, of a new board that we could start to sort of put plans in place and then trying to prepare a little bit, give ourselves six months to get it as well. And then, then we hit COVID times and um, we struggled, struggled then. Yeah. Uh, and moving on to more uh, international rugby league, uh, obviously World Cup being postponed, you know, reluctance from Australia and New Zealand really to... You know, they they seem to only bother about themselves at the moment, or yeah. God knows how long. But um, you know, why do you think that uh, those two nations are sort of like reluctant to grow anything but their own game? It's difficult. It's it's a hard one because I think I think we all know 
um, despite what they might be saying. It's to protect their own product, protect their pre-season and protect the the NRL. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I love the NRL and I think I think it's the best it's the best rugby competition any code in the world without a doubt and they've got all of that. Um, it, it, it's strange, you hear um, people talk uh, from different nations about their the NRL's reluctance to sort of get involved, to even sell TV rights cheaply uh, to nations, to to put it on free view, to give, yeah. it, to give it to countries that don't, don't have it, just to build an interest. Um, let's talk about they, what they do in the Pacific, but I think I think that basically happens with very little effort. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of lot of the players have said, "Well, we'll we'll play for Tonga or whatever." It's not as if they've yeah. grown it themselves. Exactly. I think. Yeah. I think. I think they've got a product there that they that they're protecting. I think it would be lovely to see them taking more of a more of an interest. Um, it doesn't have to just be a financial interest. You know, set things up. I do a little bit. Um, we have um, AFL, uh, AFL Europe. They've done a six weeks coaching course for the Russian coaches to listen. And you kind of think, and they've done a refereeing course six weeks online during COVID. And you think, where's the, why haven't the NRL offered something like that for the, for, for nations? Um, I think we, we'd all jump at it. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, it's blinkered. And I don't, I think it's very short sighted that they, that they have got a great product and, um, a strong international game really just the sky's the limit then really yeah to me it's it just seems a strange decision because obviously the the world cup w- will attract you know the casual fan those who might not be aware of it especially across developing nations you know maybe USA or whatever and obviously the NRL if they want to grow their products then they want to sell it across these nations and the interest will be a lot more if we've had a World Cup on, and maybe they might strike a deal with a country or whatever. It's the point. That's the whole fact, isn't it? If you if you have this all all singing or dancing World Cup with, with nations, and everyone gets a little bit patriotic at these times, don't they? Uh, a team starts to go a little bit further and further. You see the great pictures of sort of in the last World Cup. Tonga and all the flags and when England beat them it was it, it gets everyone inspired and then you think off the back of that and then you start to go right well this is finished now in November don't worry we've got the NRL starts then Super League starts then let's yeah. get on board you can get these rights this is how you get it you can watch it on watchnrl.com and it's an introductory offer for the first couple of months if you like it and then before you know it, you've got millions more people watching it off the back of the Great World Cup. Yeah. So, with with the postponement, it was like, obviously the players wanted to play. We all saw the results of the survey, but they've been they've, they've been not allowed to because of this just decision makers basically. But is it realistic to like put something in place in the future that says, well, you can't. You can't just back out of a tournament. You've got to play it, or is that something that just won't happen? I think I think there must be they, they must have looked at something for next year. My fear is that they turn around again and they say, "Oh well, actually, the situation isn't hasn't really improved. We've got to the, the way the governments are looking at things and are dealing with the whole." Uh, COVID situation has has been quite different. Um, you see New Zealand today locking down with one positive case, and you kind of think that's the way they're going. In a year's time, will they want to travel still? I hope that there's something being put in place by uh, John Dutton and the rest of the organisers that is a little bit of insurance um, that they can go. I mean, like you say, the, the only the major positive is the players want to come. And the players were prepared to do the quarantine and all of that. And I think, I think maybe the players accepted it this year in the end and went, "All right, we'll go next year." I do hope that if it, if, it is, if they back out again, that we maybe 
we have more of the players standing up and Tedesco goes and plays for Italy. Yeah. Or we get the All-Stars in or, or Serbia get a place uh, to replace Australia and you get the Roy Rich brothers for playing. It would be tremendous if something like that happened. Yeah. But it's got to go ahead the next year. It's, yeah. It's a no-brainer not to. And obviously there's a big gap now uh, when the World Cup should have been on. And obviously um, stadiums, stadiums have been booked. Should we sort of organise some sort of, you know, get France involved, uh, you know, the other nations and do something like that? I think so. I think it's, like you said, there's, there's things being booked. Um, I think... It's a lost opportunity. I think we started talking, potentially talk of extent, um, lengthening Super League season and things like that. I think we've still got a window. And I think you, hopefully what happens is that the nations that want it to be involved in the World Cup, particularly, I know we've got an issue with the NRL players, but they still put some on. They put some sport on. We have France play. Uh, great to see Greece play. Um try our best to get something at Italy playing, Scotland, Wales, get them playing in something. I mean, there's European Championship Group A that they could bring forward and have that played. Um, there's got to be something there, I think. I think the Rugby League public wanted some games and I think lots of people have tickets and we're looking forward to them planning. If we can keep some of those weekends open in those venues, maybe they have hotels, we can still get people down and get a decent crowd and French rugby league at the minute with Catalans and Toulouse seems to be is only on the up and if you take French side against maybe an English side with no NRL players I'm not sure it'll be a big gap as it used to be so it'd be good it'd be a good test as well I think England need to play more games Um, so yeah two or three games against France or, or Ireland or Wales would be perfect yeah, and um, and back to your role with Russia, like so, you don't have much funding from well, no funding from the government. Uh, where is that funding from? And you know, the organisations such as the RFL Super League, NRL, have you ever had any support from them to like, you know, for equipment or facilities or anything like that? We get um, our funding comes basically from international rugby league federation and the european federation uh, that is one of the, the sad things about the cancellation of the world cup that we know that it will affect our funding so we will be dealing with less money now for next year due to the fact it's been cancelled that's how they make their money we lost we lost out on some money due to the ashes series being cancelled um, as a nation we're that's where we get all our funding from. Um, we're not luckily enough like nations such as, I don't want to talk for them, but Serbia, who, who are more established, who've got sponsors in from local companies, who've built more relationships. Um, they're further along the line than us. We're still very starting, so we need all, all of that, uh, all that funding. Um, luckily, we've been, we've been lucky. Uh, clubs get in contact with us. Um, Gloucestershire All Goals donated some kit to us and some balls. Uh, and some equipment. Uh, I know Nottingham Outlaws are going to do the same at the end of the season as well, which is really, really useful. Um, so we're sort of working on a shoestring. Um, but you just, once we find out what the budget is for next year, um, I imagine it'll be slightly less, but we'll do our best to get going with it. Yeah. Uh, you got it. And. Right, looking at uh, football now, right back when to that started, back in the 19th century, you know, um, obviously it started in England, but then we had sort of pioneers taking it across the world and we've had, you know, loads of football clubs set up from like English expats or whatever, AC Milan, Real Madrid, uh, teams in Argentina, all over the world and that's I, well, I put that, you know, that's probably why football is the global game now because it was it was done right at the start and it, everybody is aware of it. Do you not, like, rugby league, I know that's a different era or whatever, but, you know, rugby league could replicate that in some way where the people who are stakeholders, NRL, whatever, 
we know the, the opinions of the rest of the world now, but just imagine if we had some sort of joined up thinking where funding was put into this nation or that nation. You know, is that too simplistic to suggest? I think I think that's the perfect idea, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you think why why is someone higher up than us not not thought about that? Oh, you know, we invested <laughs> coaches and I've said before, if the NRL paid two people, two coaches to go and live in Spain for two years, to give them a two year contract. They go around the schools. They they build it up. It, it would cost it would cost nothing, really, in in the grand scheme of things. Of renting a villa, you can get young lads to do it. Even older older people with families that go out for the experience. Ex players. I mean, you, you see some ex players turn up around Europe, even in Serbia. There's a lad just from Australia. He's paid on our going over. He he's going to be there coaching. So they'll develop. But there should be more joined up thinking. Why isn't there? I mean, the argument is sometimes if you look at the English rugby league, we struggle, don't we, to get out of the M62 corridor? Yeah. Like, is London? London should be better than it is. It's more of a success, you know. There should be yeah. more time put into it. More sort of, um, they, should, they should never. Yeah, I think. Should, yeah, should protect from relegation, shouldn't we, and things like that, just to see that Toronto. I mean, <laughs> well. To just, just every project is mismanaged over here. Literally every single yeah. one. Uh, why the hell did Toronto not get any distribution? Why were Lee put into the Super League this year so late in the day? And why have they got less money than everybody else? It's you know if none of these teams who want to come up into Super League have a chance because we're talking about this restructure uh, for next year or whatever. Fourteen teams. Well, that's off the cards now. But we what. Apparently, we still want to go down to 10 teams for the new Sky deal. But So what will that mean for promotion uh, next year? Like Nobody's going to come up, I assume, and two are probably going to go down. So there's no real, there's no real plan to actually grow. And if you're an ambitious club and promotion might be on the cards one year, but next year it might not be, so what can they do? It, it changes so quickly, isn't it? Like yeah. you say, you, you can be buying for promotion one year, and then the next year you lose a couple of your players, and you and you you mid table it, and you miss your chance. It, they need to. It, it needs to be thought out. It needs to be instead of let's get let's cut it down and get this distribution money, and then we're all right. Yeah, as long as we're okay, that's fine. It, you need to look further down the line. They're gonna otherwise they're gonna miss more opportunities. This. Clubs popping up, clubs doing some great things. I mean, look at Coventry, um, how they're doing in League One. If we don't, and Newcastle, if we don't yeah. start to go, this is, we want teams like this to be doing stuff. No disrespect to some of the more established yeah. clubs, but, you know, if we really want to get the game played further afield and get more wide interest, yeah. we've got to entice these clubs and support these clubs as much as possible. Yeah. And I think in the short term, a way of doing that is to do do it via international means because they don't have any clubs to look at. I'm from Bolton. I don't really support a club. I do obviously watch the sport, but a lot of people in these areas that don't have clubs, well, they can get behind England, can't they? And then, then interest grows that way. I think it's very true, mate. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm from Leicester, so we're exactly the same. We don't have a, we don't have a professional club, really. So you lose that, um, that sort of tribalism you get from football, where yeah. you go, oh, that's my football team, my local football team. I go and watch them, um, and, and you sort of grow up with that because we know that. Oh, yeah, we love the sport, but we don't have, we probably don't have that connection that you, that you get a Leeds lad who lives yeah. ten minutes from Headingley or. A, Lads in Bradford, I used to work in Bradford and um, lived in lived in Leeds, and you, people be talking about it, talking about it. How I talk about football yeah. when I go home, and you kind of think, yeah. And the way to get the rest of to get more people in is to have a successful national team. But have a national team that plays. You've only got to look at the Olympics. Look at um, 
I mean, our football's different, the Football World Cup. But soon, things start to build momentum. You know, Rugby Union gets it. Andy Murray plays tennis. He's suddenly up. He's the greatest British thing until he loses and he's Scottish, isn't he, again? But yeah. we, so everyone jumps on board and yeah. that's, that's what I mean. I think we just want something to support as English people. And yeah. That's the way forward. I think in the Olympics, we saw the potential of rugby league, really, because obviously the Rugby Sevens was on, Rugby Union, but... The way that's played, uh, you know, it's really fast. The players are more like rugby league players than union, and it were ba- it were basically a rugby league game, really. So, and and the interest that had, so you know that that's just proof. It is. I think, yeah, the sevens is the way the sevens has gone. If you put the two, if you watch a game of sevens and you say, is it rugby union or is it rugby league? Yeah. Most people will say it's, it, it's rugby league. It's built like that. And I think I think nines potentially is a way to develop as well. Taking little nines around um, around the country and maybe inviting teams like your Newcastle, your Coventries. Teams not maybe in the heartlands to sort of join in and um, just get a bit of extra support. But it's like you say, the potential we all know that the potential yeah. is there it's just how you how you crack it yeah uh so moving on to life in russia then um obviously covid what has that been like like have shops been shut or what what's the situation um we yeah we, we went through um when it first started uh we're a little bit late with late sort of late to the party compared to the uk on everything um, but we went through a about an eight week eight week lockdown, quite intense lockdown. Um, shops were open, but everything else was closed. Um, it was uh, QR codes to leave the house. Um, and if you're out and about, uh, masks, gloves everywhere. Um, we went through that. Um, so, and that stopped around say June, June twenty, and then. Um, then things gradually start to reopen. Um, it's for the majority of the time, it, it's been everything's been open. Uh, restaurants have been open. Um, it's just wearing masks. Life's pretty. I would say life for the past probably past year has been pretty normal. Yeah. Um, very stark contrast to being in the UK. Like when we've come home to visit, very very different. Um, every now and again, um, Russia decide try and do something a little bit different. They were talking about no indoor eating um, because our levels were high. And there's been a poor vaccination uh, rollout. So they wanted to try and get 60% of the workforce up. So they did a few incentives for that. Um, but on the whole, I think numbers are still high. Um, similar numbers to sort of UK, but we've got a few more, but quite a lot of deaths, still about 700 a day. Um, but hopefully um, sort of, more vaccinations and everything and we can sort of get that down and sort of return to normality yeah and so back to your role um have we got a time frame on when you're gonna like get the thing set back up again when would when will that be so currently um we're looking for um covid permitting um on october uh, right. start for a competition um, that will probably, like I said earlier, probably involve around 10 sites and will run probably until March. Um, obviously, that's our winter, so we will be playing uh, in quite cold conditions. But with a few indoor venues, we're looking at uh, using as well as some indoor vendings with, uh, with some seats and things, which are quite decent. So we're looking at that. Um, obviously, the national team will be playing um, mid-October. mid so we're hoping that will raise the profile and be a nice lead into sort of the domestic season starting. Um, and then there's plans as well to sort of look at developing with uh, developing the youth. We've currently got um, our president and another board member there in Crimea at the minute running a, a rugby league um, sort of camp for aspiring players. So we've got uh, some sort of like 14 to 16 year olds down there playing at the minute, which is really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're hopefully, hopefully, a, a late October start, and then um, have a decent competition run till around the end of March, early April. 
Yeah. Uh, so what is what's life like living in Russia then? Uh, it's uh, it's not all the stereotypes. Yeah. There's not as many bears walking <laughs> on the street. So uh, most people do smile despite the rumor that they're all miserable. Um, I know most of them could kill me, like snap like a twig. That, that's the only thing. Uh, no, it's, it's it's very good, really. Um, I can't complain. It's um, they're a really they're a good bunch of people. I've got lots of Russian friends. Um, some of the, the English, they speak more English than they let on. You have to have a few vodkas, and then the English comes out, and then yeah, they know all the English bad words. I tell you, yeah. that's. Uh, but my wife's Russian, and I'm, I'm my daughter. Uh, we have a daughter, so we're we're, we're pretty happy here. It's, um, yeah. it's not bad. Yeah, you mentioned the competitions in winter. What are the what are the temperatures then? Oh, we. I think it, uh, the coldest I've experienced is about a minus 29. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was a little, was a little <laughs> bit cold, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that was... We, we ran around. I played a, we, we played a bit of snow rugby and things. It's There's nothing worse than playing snow rugby. So it's like uh, trying to run on it. Oh, but hopefully these indoor venues will, will come out all right. But, um, yeah, it's... Um, they're a crazy bunch. I don't know why they. Play. I always say to them, "Why? Just have just have the weekends off. Just wait till it's over." So, so you were playing when it was minus twenty nine. Yeah. Well, yeah. We minus twenty sometimes. God, oh my. So they, they do all sorts. Yeah, because you think you think like well, I've seen really low temperatures in like you get icicles on your eyebrows and whatnot. Is that what it's like? It's when you start, yeah, you, you, you sort of, yeah, you sort of sweat starts to freeze. Yeah. You, your nose is gone, and your, your beard's all got ice on. You know? And like they're all wearing gloves and hats yeah. and everything. And because you're English, you think you can't play rugby in gloves and hats. <laughs> oh, uh, God. Yeah, don't catch anything. Basically, the ball never comes out past the first man, yeah. anyway. God. Past the standoff. I, I couldn't imagine that, anyway. That's mad. So, um,. Food, what is the food like? Uh, food's a lot of, um, lot of meat and potatoes. Lot, uh, standard, um, just some good stuff. Borscht is the, the famous uh, beetroot Russian soup, which you, you have nice with a bit of beef in it and a dob of uh, sour cream. It's pretty, pretty nice, actually. <laughs> um, the then it's lots of, yeah, just basically meat and potatoes and the cabbage. You have lots of weird mayonnaise-style salads with right. herring. Herring? My wife, me, yeah, herring. Yeah. My wife, she brings, will have, bring home herring. She'll have herring, potatoes and onions. Right. And uh, my dad's from, uh, is a Geordie. And he <laughs> thinks it's the best thing ever. But, uh, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not overly keen on that. Yeah, so... What is the worst one then? Is that the worst one you think? Well, oh, I'm not keen as a as a salad, which is the mayonnaise. It's mayonnaise, potato, um, a bit of onion, peas, and beetroot, and then a very strong, strong. I don't know what fish it is, but really strong fish. It's all mixed in, and you can smell it oh, a mile no. off, and then it gets plonked on your plate, oh, no. and. They're very generous with the portions in Russia as well. But it's still down, you've got to feed the man, so it's like yeah. you get half of it. Oh, oh no. no. But yeah, that, that's the worst. Yeah, that sounds vile. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, how long have you been in Russia then? Um, four years. Four years. And the language, what? Can you speak the language? Um, not really. I can. <laughs> I can get by a little bit. I can understand more. I'm a bit like a dog, so I can understand and follow <laughs> right. instructions, but I can't. Uh, I can't actually respond to it. <laughs> um, yeah, I can. I can sort. Of, I can go to shop and ask where the chicken is and um, that sort of stuff. I can order a couple of things in a restaurant, but um, yeah. nah, I'm not having. I'm not having massive conversations uh, with people on the bus or anything. Yeah, it does look like an, a very hard language to learn anyway. God knows. It is. 
most of my work, we, we, we work in English, so, and the people I work with are English, so you sort of, your friends at work and your general day-to-day is just as it would be in England, so it's sort of, uh, haven't, haven't really need to, but I think as my daughter grows up, it's sort of a bit important to learn a bit more, so I sort of will be uh, trying to listen more. Yeah, so, like, obviously you don't speak Russian that well, but, like, let's say the TV, uh, do you... I, I'm assuming you don't watch much uh, Russian TV. Uh, I don't watch too much. Um, I do. I watch a lot of. I watch all the football in Russian. Right. Uh, it's good. We got a. It's a cracking deal. It's a Oko Sport, and it's fifty pounds for the whole Premier League season. God. And you can watch every game, <laughs> every three o'clock games, and everything. The downside, <laughs> it's got Russian commentary. So uh, I'm sort of picking more things up watching that. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, but I, not normally. I'm more of a Netflix and whatever yeah. else I can find. Minute. Yeah. Some people are paying like paying like hundred hundred quid a month here just for no. watch sport. We're talking to my mate. We're playing pool the other day. He lives in Russia. And he's got one of the VPNs at work. Oh, and he's yeah. Sky BBC. And he was saying it cost him 800 quid for the whole season, like every yeah. month for the whole entire season. I couldn't believe it. So he's gone for the 50 quid option like I have yeah. as well. So. Yeah. So it's obviously cheap over there then. What uh, like what would like a house, average house price cost in our money? Uh, it's probably, it's uh, mostly in, in, in Moscow centre. It's, uh, it's sort of high rise, uh, apartment buildings and things like that um moscow's a little bit different but you're still looking consider it's a capital city it's nowhere near london prices you're probably looking at about um for a three three two two bedroom three room uh apartment would it be about two hundred fifty thousand pounds um but if you go sort of out of out of the city or into different regions um you can you can pick a house up for maybe five bedroom house or maybe the same price, 250,000. So house prices are are much cheaper. And if you go to one of the other cities, um, like not a major city like Moscow or St. Petersburg. Yeah. You can, you can do very well for your money. John Christie there. Now we've got a couple of minutes left, so we might as well do a bit of a roundup of the fixtures. So in Super League, Leeds beat Huddersfield. Wigan lost to St. Helens in what was a pretty terrible performance, actually. Saw that one on Sky Sports and Willie Iser. Wow. How many many red cards could he have had? He, He absolutely lost the plot. And so did Wigan, really. It weren't just Willie Iser. There was... They gave up and they, they, they turned it into, like... A fighting match sort of thing they were more interested in that than actually winning the game and the biggest concern for me there was it were there was it was about 60 minutes in and Saints were still only two tries ahead two converted tries and yet Wigan couldn't see beyond that and think actually you know if we might be able to to do something here and also a lot of the play were one-dimensional the ball carriers were going up on their own. There were no support runners, so how can you make any metres? But uh, and here's some stats for you. Seen this off uh, the Wigan Rugby League commentator, uh, Bill Cole. Wigan are held trialless at home by St Helens for the first time since 1989. Uh, also, in the league, it's the first time since a 21-2 loss in 1975. So... Adrian Lamb uh, is kind of breaking records uh, for the wrong reasons. Uh, Castleford beat Wakefield. Hull FC beat Hull KR in what was apparently a fantastic game. However, I didn't get to see it because it was 3 o'clock on a Saturday when all 92 clubs in football were playing. So I was uh, watching Bolton Wanderers, unfortunately. Uh also, uh, Lee got their first win, and I think it's a case of what may have been for Lee uh, this year. I think 
I've already I said last week it's too late for them, isn't it? They've gone, but they they sh- they've showed what they could have done. Uh, for Salford, kind of concerning, I would say, into the championship. Swinton, even though they're down pretty much, they kept fighting. They they lost just by four points uh, to Bradford. There were wins for York against Whitehaven. That puts them back on track. That's a good win. Uh, into League One, where everything seems to be happening at the moment. North Wales Crusaders are on a six-match winning streak. They beat Workington Town, who have been right up there with Barrow ahead of the rest this year. And I think that propels North Wales Crusaders right up there now. So... Uh, and there's not many games left either, so I'd keep your eyes on League One. And also, the playoffs are going to be on our league. I'm assuming they're going to be free, uh, because the other championship matches that they've put on recently have been free. The championship playoffs will be on Sky Sports. Uh, it were confirmed this week. Coventry beat uh, West Wales Raiders. 50, they've got 50 points there. Thought West Wales might have done a bit better. I think it were close at half-time, so Coventry... Had a had a good second half. Barrow uh, waning again. Doncaster beat them this time, twenty six points to eighteen. And just a couple of weeks ago, Barrow were a dead cert for automatic promotion. Now, I, I can't call it. Rochdale drew to Hunslet. That was an exciting game, close all the way through. And I think Rochdale were winning a couple of minutes to go. So, but. You know, I think Rangi Chase is not far back for them. He was named in the 21-man squad, so they'll need him if come the playoffs. And that's pretty much it, really. So, on next week's show, we should be having the Newcastle Thunder head coach, Eamon O'Carroll on. Not fully confirmed yet, but I'm fairly confident. And we'll be talking Newcastle's great season so far. Also... Growing the game away from the traditional heartlands, and also uh, what are the club's aims going forward? So that'll be an interesting listen. See you next week.